Good morning. Good to see everyone. Are we ready to get into this? All right, let's let's do this. Take out your handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and I will uh, give you the fill in the blank here. We are in part 67 of our Being Jesus series, and I entitled this morning's message, The Blind Reception. And I just want to go through something real fast, give you the fill in the blank, and then uh, we're going to spend the majority of our time in two passages. One is the healing of two blind men that we've talked about once in the past, so we'll go through that rather rapidly. The rest of the time, we're going to spend talking about the triumphal entry. If you don't know what that is, whatever, you're going to find out more than you ever wanted to know, all right? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. They're all combo passages. They'll be up on the screens so that you can follow along. But let me just begin with some thoughts and take my keys out of my pocket, or I'm going to keep messing with them the whole entire time. All right. I am a child. There was one time, this is, has nothing to do with the message. There was, there was one time I had a pen in my hand and I'm one of the, those like nervous clickers. And the whole time I was talking, I was going click, 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 click. And Crystal Evans was sitting in the front row. She got up in the middle of the service, got up and goes, give me the pen. So anyway. I didn't even know I was doing it. So uh, anyway, just thought I'd let you know that. All right. So let's get back to the message at hand. Uh, y'all know the game telephone, right? Everybody played telephone as a little kid. That's the idea where you kind of sit in a circle. Somebody comes up with a phrase. You say it to the person next to you. They say it to the person next to you. And it goes around, right? Well, by the time it gets to the end, it doesn't sound anything like you started. And that's the funny part of the game. All right. We all know that stuff. Here's what I was thinking about the other day. I was I was having lunch with Tommy Pulitz, the pastor of Hillside. We're kicking back and, and spending some time together. And we were talking about how much is the Jesus view that we have accurate? How much has been lost in the telephone game along the way where instead of us reading the word for ourselves, we've heard pastors who have been led by pastors who have been led by pastors, and we all tend to shape the Jesus view that we have. Uh, how much have we missed along the process? Well, how do you ever solve a, well, so-and-so said that so-and-so said that so-and-so said, how do you solve those problems? You always what? Go back to the original source, right? Now, as much as I understand that some of you are not always comfortable or, or have an understanding of, of engaging with God in prayer in a way that you feel like it's a dialogue, praise the Lord, we do have his word. You know what I'm saying? Where you can go, wait, 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 everybody's telling me stuff about Jesus? I, I don't know if that's necessarily accurate. Maybe, maybe we've read so many devotionals that were actually angled or directed or designed towards, let's say, someone that was hurting. Well, if you read those, they portray the soft side of Jesus. And then all of a sudden you're reading the word and he says super offensive things. And you're like, wait, I thought that doesn't sound like Jesus. I thought Jesus was like nice guy. And you go, whoa, 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 hold on. You've been reading one element, one side of him for so long. You've built that as the total Jesus. Praise the Lord. We can go back and go, no, 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 God, what are you telling me about you? It's wonderful to have teachers. It's wonderful to have things processed. It's wonderful for all of us to dialogue on it. But do you understand how critical it is? to go back and read for ourselves and allow God to define God. You, you know what I mean? It seems like sometimes we miss some stuff. I was, 
I was realizing as uh, I, in, in, in past times, I've gone through a lot of church history. There was one time I did a church history study here. And, and as I was going through church history, you realize there's these massive blocks where the church had it completely wrong. 200 years, they thought this. 500 years, they thought this. Well, here's what's so funny. They all thought they were right. What are we missing? That's the fill in the blank in front of you. What are we missing? Because there is something about our culture that is impacting us. There's something that we are missing along the way that God's been saying, whoa, 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 whoa. how'd you get that? That's not what I've been talking about. That's I, Every time you read that passage, you keep leaning this way. Why are you leaning this way? As a matter of fact, what I meant was this. And and yet we always kind of reaffirm each other, right? We always keep going, yeah, no, 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 I'm sure that's right. No, no, that's good. I'm not saying that the Bible's unreliable. I'm saying that we are unreliable. That's what I'm trying to say. And so we need to go back and let Jesus be Jesus. We need to go back and let the Bible say what the Bible says, as opposed to only reading a devotional thought or only reading someone else's opinion of it. Sometimes we just got to read it for ourselves. The reason why this is so critical is that we're about to read a story where Jesus, for the first time and last time in his ministry on earth, presents himself as the Messiah of Israel, and they miss it. They had assumptions, they had ideas, they had a view that they knew God better than they did. And Jesus walks into town with an absolute clear sign, and they missed it. After announcing he is Messiah, less than a week later, he is crucified. How did they miss it? And what is God doing in our midst that we are missing? These are the concerns upon my heart. Let's go ahead and throw the first scripture up on the screens. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I've taught this story of the healing of the two blind men. You may know it as a healing of blind Bartimaeus if you've been in the church for a long time. I, I taught this earlier in our series because one gospel has it super early and I kind of lumped it in with a lot of the other stories about healing. So I'm not going to go too deep into it. We'll kind of buzz past that and we'll get to the triumphal entry and focus there. But the other two gospels put this healing right here before Jesus announces him being Messiah. And that is a critical placement. It occurred, in my opinion, right here for a very specific reason. So let's dive into the story. It says this. As he, as Jesus was leaving what I would call the ancient city of Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd followed him. It's Passover time. The pilgrims from the north are coming down and they're all gathering as a herd. And he came, obviously, uh, he's from Galilee. He's from Nazareth. He's from the north. And so that whole crew joins in with him. He's been hanging out in Bethany, but now he's sweeping through Jericho. So now he is going to have all these people with him. It is estimated that in Jesus' day, between 2 to 2.5 million Jews flooded Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem's not very big, so it is a lot of people. It is jammed. So they all are streaming in. Jesus is in one of those, and he's a celebrity, so he is surrounded. It says, 
a great crowd followed him as they drew near to the new Jericho. And I'll explain that in a moment. Seriously, check this out. There were two blind men sitting by the roadside begging. One of them was Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of the north, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, they yelled out, they shouted out, Jesus, son of David, Jewish Messiah, have mercy on me. And many in the crowd who were in front by Jesus rebuked them, telling them to be silent. Hey, guys, we can't hear the rabbi teach. Y'all need to shut it down. But they cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on us. All right, what's going on here? Well, very simply, you don't have a welfare program for guys, right? Now, they would have an orphans and widows fund. They would have certain ways that they would take care of women, sometimes, not always. But if you were a handicapped man... You pretty much begged. That was your gig. Once you could no longer work for a living, you sat at the roadside and you would beg. The best time to beg is when people are in the mood to give, right? So this was festival time. In Passover, there all the Jews were encouraged that it was an honorable thing to give alms to the poor. So they're already prepped and ready to give. Obviously, those begging are prepped and ready to receive. Yes, that's what you do. And so you want to be on the main thoroughfare where all the pilgrims are coming through because, man, there that's your big shot. you got to load that up. That's going to carry you for the next couple months, maybe. So sure enough, they're sitting by the roadside begging. There's two guys. One of them takes primary focus in the story, and they name him probably because the early church knew him. All right? And his name was Bartimaeus. So he hears, he can't see it's coming, but he knows something's different. Everything got noisier and crazier. And he's like, man, something's different here. What's going on? They said, well, the celebrity's coming by. The magic man, the the Messiah, the prophet, all this stuff. They were loading all these terms in. They said, he's going by. And when Jesus passed by, they began to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay. There is, how should I say this? I would hope that if you ever get an inkling that Jesus is passing by, that you would cry out his name and say, don't miss me. You know, it's interesting. I've been uh, watching all this stuff go on in our region. I'm watching God build and shift and move and connect. We're having pastors hanging out together and doing things together with other congregations. And and I'm watching uh, God's kids finally be civil to each other. I'm watching people love on one another. I'm watching them protect each other. I'm watching them build into one another. I'm watching them sacrifice for a church that's not even their own. I'm watching all this get set. And I, and I feel like there's no way this can't be a foundational layer of revival. But, you know, now revival, obviously on that layer, you got to put a bunch of other stuff in there, right? There's got to be a big movement of prayer. There's got to be a big movement of repentance and falling before God and saying, we want you more than we want us, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen, but I'm watching all this happen. And I feel like God is going to visit our area in a very significant way. And here's my prayer. God, don't let me miss it. 
God, I want a front row seat. There's no way in the world I would feel okay if God comes in a significant way and I had nothing to do with it. That would bum me out. And so my constant cry is, God, don't forget us. Don't forget us. Don't forget us. I want to be where you're at. And I would hope that that is your heart. I would hope that you'd feel terrible if God was passing by and you just kind of just let him go. And and here's where it it becomes personal. Do you understand what I'm doing here? What, What Jake and our worship leaders are doing here. What we're doing is we're setting the table for you to have date time with God. Do you understand? That's what we're doing. We are not having dinner together, you and I. Uh, it's setting the table that you would engage with your God. So this is what it means practically. If while I'm preaching, right? While I'm whatever, yelling, whatever it is, while I'm talking, all of a sudden God lays on your heart and starts putting something heavy on your heart. Maybe about what I'm talking about. Maybe not what I'm talking about. Here's what your response must be. Block out me and focus on him. You understand? We're not playing this game. Jesus, quiet, man. He's preaching. Okay. You don't, don't shut down Jesus and keep listening to me. This is, that's what the whole setup was for. We're trying to get you in a place where you can engage with your God. So if all of a sudden he just captures your heart and your mind and he starts going, man, this point, that point the pastor just made, that's for you right there. I need you to own that. I need you to walk with that. We need to talk about it right now. You block me out, right? If you're in worship, you block that out right there and you just engage with your God. Because he's passing by you and you don't want to miss it because that will be the richest time of the whole service is that your God. Do you remember the story when little Samuel was called and God said, Samuel, and immediately he ran. He thought it was Eli. He thought it was his boss. Right. And he's like, yeah, I'm here. And he's like, that's God, man. That's not me. And so he said, uh, God called again, Samuel. And the little guy said, here I am. What do you need, Lord? I'm ready to go. Okay, that is our hearts to be prepped like that all the time because we don't want to miss Jesus. All right, so let me give you a little setup. There were two Jerichos. Now, they're in the exact same area, and it's the same city. It's the same territory. It's the same plot of land, generally. They're about a mile apart, and here's where that happened. The ancient city of Jericho, uh, at the time of Jesus, was pretty well tore up. It was pretty well just for the poor folks. It was kind of, um, uh, kind of uninhabited. Yes and no. I mean, it's still, there's still people there. People still live there, but it wasn't a cool place to live because a people called the Hasmoneans had built a compound a mile down the road. They called that Jerusalem, uh, Jericho. Well, when Herod took over, he wanted his palace there, expanded the palace. And so fancy Jericho was a mile away from old Jericho. Now, if you go there right now, both of them are called Jericho. Uh, when you go into the city, it literally says on the sign, the longest continuously occupied city of the world. And they count back that they've been occupied consistently for 10,000 years. That's pretty crazy, right? So Jericho is in two locations. So, and the reason why this is important is if you read one one uh, gospel account, right? He's going to say Jesus did this healing as he was approaching Jericho. You read another gospel account, it says he did this healing as he was leaving Jericho. And you're like, dude, that's a total contradiction. Well, not if you don't realize there's two Jerichos. 
You understand what I'm saying? These are things that we need to be taught because there's no way you would just pick up on it. All right. All right. A couple other things. The reason why the crowds are so heavy is remember the expectations of Passover. This is their major holiday. It was mandated that all Orthodox Jewish males within a 15 mile radius attend in the city. So you have to go. So if you took a protractor and did like a 15 mile radius in a small country, 15 miles covers a lot. You all have to go. Then you have everyone from the north that wants to go. Then you have everyone from all the surrounding countries that want to go because there's nothing cooler than doing your biggest celebration in the capital city with everybody else by the beautiful temple. So you got millions of people coming into this city. All right. Last couple things. These guys are pretty desperate, right? How do we know they're desperate? Because they're pretty much hijacking their business. Because what are they doing? They're screaming out when everybody else wants to hear. You're ruining their time. Who do they want money from? This same group. Don't get in a fight with the people you're trying to get money from. Right? That doesn't even make any sense. If you're begging, you want to be as nice as you can to those folks that they're going to kick a little something your way. The last thing you need to do is go, ah, and just start screaming. And they're like, hey, be quiet, man. What's wrong with you? I can't even hear the rabbi. You're supposed to, oh, sorry, sorry about that. You know, got any money? You know, and that's, that's how it should go. They didn't care. They're so desperate. They're like, I don't care who I offend right now. Because man, Jesus is here and there's no way you're going to stop me from being with my Jesus. There's no way I'm going to let the son of David cross by my path. A dude that I believe is a healer and I have all these other people telling me through the grapevine he healed them. I'm not letting that guy go by. I will yell and I will yell and I will yell. But notice what they yelled. Son of David, have mercy on me. Why is that important? To the ancient Jews, son of David meant military Messiah. They didn't have it right. Now, was he the son of David? Yes, he was the promised anointed one. But their viewpoint of him, that he would then lead them military and he would fight Rome and that Judaism would spread all over the world because finally you have a big king here. That wasn't how it was going to go. They actually had their theology wrong. So they're calling out and they're calling Jesus something that he would not have defined himself as necessarily. You go, what, what's your point? My point is their theology and faith was messed up. Does that matter? Because here, here's where we get into this. We get into this idea that God only responds when we get everything right. Oh, it's a good thing we know everything. That's why God is here. I mean, isn't that kind of the attitude? And oh, that, those folks are bogus. They, they don't got stuff right, so there's no way that's legit. There's no way God's going to go visit them. Hold on. Nobody's legit. Nobody has any idea what in the world we're doing. We are all messed up. We all have stuff that's wrong with our theology. We all got stuff that's a little loopy and crazy. We all have baggage. We all have bias, right? I mean, that's just real life. And Jesus responds to us. Just because he responds to you doesn't mean your theology's awesome. Sometimes it's just sheer grace. Actually, it's always sheer grace, right? It's all mercy. So even though they cried out to him, watch what he does. Look at the next line. It says this. Next page. And Jesus stopped. He didn't have to stop. He's got stuff going on. 
He stopped. Why? Because their theology was right? No. He stopped because he had compassion on them. He stopped because he's a, he's a good God. That's why he stopped. But he stopped in this particular situation because they were so passionate and eager for him. So that does matter. He, I don't know how many poor people he passed. I don't know how many blind people he passed. Because when you're going down the road, that, the streets were lined with them. But he stopped for these guys. They were crying out for him. And Jesus stopped and commanded them to be brought to him, saying, call him up here. They called the blind man, saying to Bartimaeus, take heart, which means be encouraged. Get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, <clears throat> he sprang up and came to Jesus. He sprang up and came to Jesus. You know what that's called? It's called an immediate response. He sprang up and came to Jesus. When God calls, you spring up and respond to Jesus. That's how it's... Amen! Right on! That's what we're talking about, yeah? And then it says this. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And when they came near, Jesus asked them, What do you want me to do for you? Now, we've talked about this a million times. Let me just reiterate this. I'm not very good at this. What do you want me to do for you? I anticipate needs. Right? Which is super sweet. It's just not very Jesus-like. Here's what I mean. Uh, if you come up to me for prayer and I can see anything is wrong with you, I'm uncomfortable for you because I don't like you being in tension. I don't like you being stressed. I don't like you being hurt. I don't like you being sad. I don't like, if you come up to me crying, my heart immediately locks in and I want to figure out how to fix it. That's just my nature. And so what I'll tend to do is go right into prayer for that. That's not Jesus. Jesus is going, hold up. What are you looking for? There's wisdom in that. Do you understand? Because that whatever they're crying about at the moment may not be the critical issue. There may be another issue that they came for. Even though they may have a broken leg, they may not care about the broken leg. They're cared about their broken marriage. You understand what I'm saying? And so I have to grow in the wisdom to slow down a little bit and not assume all the time. Because what Jesus was doing was tracking on what the father was saying, not what the need was in front of him. There's a bunch of things he walked right by. Why? Because the father didn't tell him to stop. But when the father tells him to stop, he stops. But then he's going to draw them into the conversation. He knows what's going on. But what's interesting is, what were they asking for just five minutes earlier? Money. So if he brings them up there, and he's like, guys, what can I do for you? You want some money? Is that what we're doing? They didn't even think about money. They're like, Lord, we got, we got an issue. I'm blocked by my handicap. So watch what happens. When they came near, Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, Lord, which means master and rabbi, which means teacher. Let our eyes be opened. God, we want to see. Now, you got to have some serious confidence and faith to ask Jesus to heal you to really believe he can do that. Because you've never met this guy before. You can't even see this guy. You don't know if he's legit. You don't know anything about it. It's all hearsay. And these guys said, we want to see. Is it okay to ask for needs? It sure is. We just have to have the humility to let dad be dad. You know what I mean? Because dad sometimes goes, no, we're not doing that. But God, I need that. No, you don't. As a matter of fact, what you need, I can't even convey to you right now because you wouldn't understand. So... I'm still God. And you ask me, I get that. You can ask me tomorrow. You can ask me in five minutes. But right now, the answer is no. We're not doing that. Okay. 
It keeps moving forward. It says, and Jesus in pity, that word is compassion. It's the most common descriptor for Jesus. It means moved in the deepest place of him. Jesus' guts wouldn't let him keep walking. That's pretty awesome. Jesus was so moved in emotion and said, look, these guys have an issue. I need to address the issue. That's, that's the Jesus we serve. He says, in pity, he touched their eyes. Okay, why are you touching their eyes? Well, because you've got to touch it to heal it, right? No, you don't. He just called a dead dude out of the grave with his voice. He doesn't need to be touching anybody. He doesn't need to say anything. And here's what's fascinating to me, and, and I've shared this a lot, and I really want us to have a heart of gratitude. It's why I keep mentioning this. Do you realize all the things that you, diseases you had, and then without you knowing, God saw it and healed it, and you don't have it anymore? You're like, well, how would I know that? You don't. But the point is, your father's watching over you. And sometimes he's clearing stuff out of your system all the time. I mean, check it out. How much, what'd you guys been eating? Okay, seriously, that's just like, could I have more poison? And we're just shoving it in our face, right? We're just like, yes, trying to destroy ourselves. Okay, and the whole time God's like, sort, 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 sort. All right, we're letting that one stick, right? I mean, it's this whole idea that he's walking through. He is healing. We need to always have this heart of gratitude of knowing that our dad is watching us at all times and he is constantly purifying us and helping us and healing us and touching us. And that's why we always have a reason to praise. You know what I'm saying? Amen. All right. Says, says this, and Jesus touched his eyes and he said, recover your sight. Go your way. That means you're free to go. Your faith has made you well. All right. This is where things get really weird. Um, Does faith matter? Absolutely it does. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But let me explain what this phrase means. A lot of people will think that it means they had enough faith in the tank for Jesus to trigger a healing. It was almost like Jesus checks their level and he's like, almost... Uh, You know, and he's just like, yes, you've got it. Okay, that's actually not what it means. Now, as I said, faith does matter. I have found that many people that I've prayed for, uh, when there's a ton of resistance, God seems to go, you know what, we're going to go ahead and wait until we do some heart work before we do anything on your body. Because that's actually not your issue. Your issue is not your physical problems. Your issue is that you don't care about me. And so if I do remove the physical issues, there's actually a whole other level of stuff that's going on here. And so I need to address that as well. All right. So all that stuff is true. But what here's the problem. If you think that it's a level of faith that you have in you, then you're going to assume that if you get healed, you had enough and someone that doesn't get healed doesn't have enough. Do you understand how that's going to mess somebody up? Okay. Be real careful on that because that's actually not what it says. Um, It says, your faith has made you well. How did their faith save them? Because they knew who to go to. They went to the one that can heal. That's the faith. So faith of a mustard seed is this. Hey, I'm in need. Where can I go? I believe God is real. I believe God can do something about it. Boom, you're already past the mustard seed a long time ago. 
You understand? That's already enough faith because you ran to the one who has the solution. You didn't run to paganism. You didn't run to new age. You didn't run to tarot reading. You didn't run to astrology. You didn't run to Satan. You didn't run to some other religion. You ran to Jesus. Why? Because you have faith that he's legit. You have faith that he can do something about your situation. You already have hurtled really far in the faith category. That's what he's looking for. He's saying, you know what? The whole fact that you believe me got you to me. Now I can do something about it. Understand that it's not that you got to get your tank at a certain level. It's that you got to get next to the one who can override your tank. You know what I'm saying? All right. Amen. Amen. All right. That's good. That's good. Recover your sight, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately they recovered their sight. That's an instantaneous healing. That's pretty cool. And they followed him on the way. They literally joined his team, walking with them. And the whole time they're doing it, they're what? They're glorifying God. That is a major reason for miracles. It's not the only reason for miracles. It is a major reason of miracles is the glory of God. And so when God touches you, tell someone. Right? You gotta, you gotta tell someone. Uh, I, I got a buddy, uh, of mine who, for the last like three months, he, one phrase that he says is stuck in my head. You ever get phrases stuck in your head that other people say? Maybe you're not quite as impressionable as I am. I'm very impressionable. Okay. So if, if my daughter sings a song, that song's stuck in my head for the rest of the day. You know what I mean? So my buddy Isaiah, Isaiah Crocker, and he always, whenever somebody says something good about God, he goes, come on, somebody. Every time that is in my head for like three, four months. Come on, somebody. Right. And so when God does something awesome in your life, somebody's got to pray. Somebody's got to say something. Somebody's got to tell someone, because if you're so private about your faith that all you do is you get a miracle and you tell your cats. Unless they're heavily connected or they're online or they're on Facebook. It's not giving glory to God. Can you please tell someone, right? Because he's doing these things. And and one of the main reasons why he's touching you is not only for you to grow in your relationship with him, but it's to build up other people's faith as well. We got to tell someone. Come on, somebody, right? You know what I'm saying? All right. All right. All right. I say he'd be proud of me now. Okay, good. Um. It says, and when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. God's miracles in our lives are to fill the faith tank of other people. I remember one time uh, early on, we're going a number of years back, and I was very new to the whole idea of the healing stuff. And and in the middle of the thing, uh, I, I was in this conference or whatever, and I was and I was like, I have a need, right? You know. And then while the conference was going on, they're praying for people. Uh, people that got healed went up on stage and they shared their testimony. And it was so funny because this is how selfish I was. I was like, dude, when you share your testimony, here's what I hear in my head. You got healed and I didn't. Right? And I'm like, oh, that's a drag, man. Because now I'm listening to you. That's awesome. Woo! Hey, I'm still jacked up over here. Right? And I'm just, you know, I'm having a hard time praising. And what I realized later is the idea is that if God does touch someone, we got to tell somebody. So, of course, you want that testimony to go out because not only is it for that person, not only is it between them and God, not only is it building everyone else's faith, but the whole room shifts. 
because now everybody's going, wait, wait, wait. So God is present and he can do whatever he wants to do. So I'm feeling like there's a possibility he may walk right by me. And all the faith of the room lifts up and God is more glorified. And went, oh, that's why I couldn't get out of my little selfish place. You know what I'm saying? To appreciate it until later. What we need to do is once again, we need to tell all the times that God is doing things and we need to be very public. One of the things that we have not done awesome as a church, we do it a little bit, um, is, is to constantly promote what God is doing here and telling everybody about it. You know, I get to, as a central hub, I get to hear a lot of amazing things, but I don't always get to convey them to you. Your faith needs to be built up too, right? All right. So why is this story here? I think it's here for two critical reasons, one is more important in my opinion than the other. The first critical reason is this. How cool is it for the Messiah to walk into Jerusalem saying, welcome everyone, the Messiah is here, and there's literal healed people going, I can see! It, I mean, like, and they're like, well, we all can see. No, 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 I couldn't see like 10 minutes ago. I can see now how awesome for the king of all creation to walk in and he's surrounded by healed people screaming out, he's real. You know what I'm saying? I think that's why this, one of the reasons why this miracle happened on the way to Jerusalem, but there's a bigger reason. The bigger reason is because they're blind. Jesus is about to walk into his own city of his own nation and they're not going to see him. These blind guys saw more than the people that could see. And what he was saying was, if you would just call out to me, I can heal your sight and you would see me as I am and I can rescue you. Do you understand how powerful that is? And so he is using this as an example of saying, my nation isn't watching me, but if they would, I would heal them. Wow, that's, that's pretty powerful. All right, so let's dive into this for the rest of our time together. It says, John says in the next day, he's talking about after the day after Mary anointed Jesus in Bethany. But we just combined it in here. Uh, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, we're, we're coming from Jericho in this particular story. That means that we're going 17 miles up to Jerusalem, which is a 3,300-foot elevation climb in 17 miles. That's quite a walk, okay? That, that's a pretty big hike. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to two towns called Bethpage, which is not how it's pronounced, but that's how I do it, uh, and Bethany, to the Mount of Olives on the eastern slopes, at the mount that is called Olivet on the eastern side of the Kidron Valley. Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you, one of those two villages, where immediately on entering, you will find a donkey tied and a colt tied with her on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie them and bring them here to me. If anyone says anything to you or asks, hey, why are you untying my donkey? You shall say this, the Lord has need of them and will send them back here immediately and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And this is a combo of Zechariah 9, 9 and Isaiah 62, 11. Just as it is written, saying, say to the nation of Israel or the daughter of Zion, fear not, daughter of Zion. Seriously, check this out. Your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. All right, what's the donkey thing about? Okay, 
This is a big piece of the story. And what you're going to see is Jesus is layering upon layering upon layering upon layering of prophecy all the way through this. This is all super powerful. But you're going to miss it if you just kind of go, oh, that's cute. He grabbed the donkey. No, it's bigger than that. First of all, how many donkeys are we talking about? Two. Now, there's one that's the main focus. Baby donkey's the focus. Why is mom donkey mentioned? Well, okay, a couple things for you. Have you ever tried to ride an unbroken horse? It's probably not a wise idea, right? Because the, the, the horse is going, what are you doing on my back? I don't like you there. Would you please leave? Yeah? So if, we, if this has never been ridden before, how is little donkey going to respond? He doesn't know what he's doing. Right? So he's freaking out. Not only that, you're not going for a stroll in the countryside. You're about to ride him into the center of a major city where there's two and a half million people jammed around screaming and yelling and shouting and the donkey's not supposed to freak out. Now, granted, look who's riding him, right? I mean, you got the king of all creation who calmed the wind and the waves sitting on the donkey. The donkey's like, man, I feel so, so close. I feel like I've had my center. I feel good about myself, man. I feel like this is just right where I need to be. Okay, I get it. You know, he probably feels really good ever since Jesus is on him. But still, on the way there, the little donkey's nervous. What did I do? What did I do? Right? And he's like, ah, oh, mama's here. Do you understand that's why they grabbed the mom? Because as long as the mom is with him, the donkey's like, it's, it's got to be okay. Mom is here. Mom is here, right? So he's going to chill out at least to get there. Then the king of creation will sit on him and he'll be peaceful, right? Okay. So what's the deal with all this donkey thing? In Zechariah 9.9, it says that the Messiah will come riding in on a donkey. That's clearly messianic prophecy. However, we don't look at donkeys like they look at donkeys. Donkeys were legit for kings to ride in on, depending on what you were trying to say. Now, for us to ride in on a donkey, we would just feel stupid. It's like, dude, you can't afford a horse? What's wrong with you? Right? Me and my burro. You know, we were now, we would take over this city. You know, and you're like, all right, well. I don't know why I had to do it in that accent. <laughs> I have a lot of those. Here we go. But this is tradition. For example, uh, some of the greatest kings of all Israel's history are guys like King David and his son, King Solomon. Do you realize that after the Absalom incident, when David was coming back to reclaim his throne in the city, he rode on a donkey? Why? Because a donkey means peace. A horse means war. And so do you realize that the next time Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he will be on a horse? Do you understand? And that's when it's not going to be cute. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right on, okay? He's going to come in on a white horse, a king of kings, lord of lords, written on his thigh, a sword in his hand. That is warfare. That is all about crushing the enemy. This is peace. He is proclaiming himself to be the king of peace, the prince of peace as he rides in. King David rode in on a donkey to say, listen, I'm not here to cause any more fights. I'm here to bring peace. And then when Solomon, his son, was brought in to take the throne, guess what he rode in on? A donkey. So the idea is that they know in their mind in history that kings ride on donkeys, but only if they're trying to proclaim something else. They're trying to proclaim peace. So Jesus is riding in and saying, I'm the king of peace. That's pretty awesome. Do you remember uh, a number of months ago, uh, Bishop Parnell Lovelace spoke on this topic and he said one line I'll never forget. He said, you thought he was coming on a horse and he came in on a donkey. 
And he kept saying that phrase over and over. And the point was this. Stop assuming you know how Jesus is going to arrive. You keep waiting for a horse. And if you don't see a horse, you think it's not Jesus. And he comes in, slips in under the radar. He comes in with a donkey. The idea is it's not as you would expect. Jesus has his own ways of doing things. Uh, Last thing that I'll question is, uh, hey, the whole you're going to find a donkey, the owners are going to ask you, you give them this word. Is that a preset appointment or divine knowledge? We don't know. I always grew up assuming it was divine knowledge. But honestly, it doesn't really matter, right? Because Jesus was always in Bethany. That was his buddies. Maybe when he was hanging out with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he looks across the street and he's like, they have that little baby donkey. We're using that one. You know, and he's like, hey, go tell them. They know me. And I tell them, hey, the Lord needs it. Nobody, absolutely. We'll get it back to you right away. That kind of thing. So either way, it doesn't really matter. Let's pick the story up again. Next passage. So the disciples who were sent went away and did just as Jesus directed them. Because that's what disciples do. Did you get it? No, you missed it. All right, let's say it again. And so the disciples went away and did as Jesus directed them. Because that's what disciples do. In other words, there's a lot of things Jesus has been telling you, and you're taking it under advisement. I'm sorry, I thought you were a disciple. You see, because disciples do what the master tells them to do. That, that's the point of being a disciple. Not to, yeah, that is a good point. I'll think about that. No, you won't. You just do it. And they did as Jesus directed them, and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, just as he had told them. And as they're untying the colt, the owners who were standing there are like, uh, what are you doing? Why are you untying my donkey? And they told him what Jesus said. They said that God needs it. And they let it go. They brought the donkey and the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on the colt like a makeshift saddle, and they set Jesus on it because Jesus cannot climb. No, that's not true. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I have not, this is much more of a, a honor thing. We're going to put you up. He's like, I got it. Get off me. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, that means after he died and resurrected and showed back up, then they remembered these things had been written about him and they had been done to him. What's the point? They have no idea what's going on. They're like, what is this whole donkey thing? This is weird, man. What are we doing? Like, there's two guys walking along. Hey, can I borrow your donkey? I know. I don't get it either. And they're untying. They're like, why do we got to grab the baby donkey? Why do we got to, you know, they have no idea how valuable this is. They don't know that there's prophecy going on. They don't know. And the reason why this is so important to sit on is because you're going through something right now and you're not seeing it. Of course you're not seeing it. There's a lot we don't see. We don't see it until retrospect. Man, do you know how much stuff that the disciples missed? Do you understand that only after Judas betrayed Jesus, they were like, I thought something was weird about that guy. They had no idea, right? And not only that, but it says in the Bible, I I kid you not, you can look it up. It says that they didn't understand that the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, they didn't understand those were miracles. How in the world are you the ones that start with two loaves and or whatever it is, two fish and all the loaves and all that stuff, right? How in the world, if you distribute them to thousands of people and you know what you started with, how is that not a miracle, right? But they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Jesus had to bring it up later. You know how much stuff in the Christian life you just don't get when you're going through it? Then how are we ever going to grow? It's called experience and reflection okay if you always say i don't want to do it unless i know everything in advance you're not going to live with jesus i'm just telling you right now 
you will stay outside because there's some stuff Jesus says, I want you to walk in this. And you're like, but I don't understand. He's like, you're not going to understand for a really long time because you're only going to know when you walk through it. We got to walk through it, but then we got to have time to reflect. Yeah, because a lot of us will just blow out of here and go to lunch or we're going to blow out of here and go on the boat or we're going to blow out of here and just hang out and watch TV. And we're not going to reflect on the life changing stuff you just engaged with. You're not unless we go back and say, God, what are you trying to tell me? Not the person next to me, not not my husband, not my wife, not my kids, not my parents. What are you telling me? How ought I to change because of what I heard in church today? If we don't reflect, we don't grow. We got to reflect, especially in a busy uh, environment like our society. Really hard to reflect. But there's some stuff you got to see in retrospect, but you got to turn around to see it, right? right? All right. All right, let's keep moving forward. As he rode along, most of the large crowd, that's many people that had come to the feast, had heard what Jesus was, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And they spread their outer cloaks on the road and others cut leafy branches from the palm trees and from the fields and spread them out on the road. Okay, what is that all about? That's weird. They're throwing down their cloaks going, listen, you are such a big deal. I'll put my jacket down so you don't get dirty. That's an honor thing. They're cutting down palm branches because that's historic. That means victory. That means joy. That means celebration. They're cutting those off and they're throwing them down. You can imagine the donkey's like, this is so awesome, right? He's like walking on stuff. He's like, this is so cool, okay? They were doing something because of history. 200 years prior to that, in 167 BC, a super bad guy came to power in Syria. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus hated the Jews. And he, come, he came in and he stormed Jerusalem. He slaughtered a whole bunch of people and he took over the temple. Now, if you know anything about Judaism, the temple's a big deal. He came into the temple and he defiled it. He offered a pig on God's altar. You understand the kosher laws? There's one thing we all know we don't eat, right? According to the kosher laws, and that was the pork issue. And so sure enough, they offered a pig on the altar of God, but they honored it to Zeus. Okay, you don't put another God above God. You just don't do that, right? Then they chased everyone out of the temple and made it a brothel. They did that on purpose. Okay, all that desecration was horrific and it ticked the jews off so bad a guy by the name of judas maccabeus rose up a revolt and this is what hanukkah is about in case you're wondering about the hanukkah story judas maccabeus got a crew together and they came in and stormed the place and took it back over once they won that war they had a a procession to cleanse the temple again guess what when he rode in on a horse guess what they did for him They threw down the branches and did the whole thing because that's how they honored a victor as he rides in. So they knew 200 years ago, we just did this. They know what they're doing and they're honoring him as a king, as a victor. All right, let's keep moving forward. 
As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples that went before him and that followed him, that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. They went out to meet him. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign, the resurrection of the dead. And they began to rejoice and praise God for bringing this to happen, shouting with a loud voice like all proclamation is done for all the mighty works, the mighty miracles that they had seen, crying out a combo of Psalm 118 in Jeremiah 31, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now they're shouting out praise. You know what Hosanna means? Yeah, I didn't. So here's the thing. Here's the funny thing. There's all these churchy words and stuff that we even sing in songs, and I always forget what they mean. Right? Right now, I couldn't even tell you what hallelujah means. Why? Because I just forget. I got so much other stuff in my head. Every time I put something new in, something old falls out. I got a lot of new stuff I'm shoving in there. All the other stuff's coming out, right? So every time I get back into these studies, I'm like, wait, what does that mean again? Well, it's funny because I realized I didn't even know what Hosanna meant. Hosanna means save me now. Did you know that? I always thought it meant God's awesome. Well, it actually turned into God is awesome, but it began with a cry for help. It wasn't a praise initially. It was a desperate plea. Hosanna means save me. I'm dying here. But because God responds, it became a praise because it went, save me. Oh, look, there you are. You're here to come get me. Then it became a praise. Interesting, huh? Did y'all know that? Fantastic. Good. I didn't. All right. Here's a couple interesting things about this. You know, we talk about um, a couple of the commentaries cited this. I thought it was pretty intriguing. We always have this opinion that people shouted Hosanna and then a few days later shouted crucify. We need to understand that there are multiple groups altogether. There's the groups from the north that like Jesus. There's the groups from the north that don't. There's the groups from the south that like Jesus. And there's groups from the south that don't. And then there's bad guys. All right. So at this moment, the groups that like Jesus, they're the thick in mass people that are leading and causing the peer pressure. That's why Hosanna is happening. The other team's going to win the next day. They're the ones that shout crucify. So it wasn't necessarily that everyone flipped, although some did. But it was even more so that the leadership took over and said, we're going to shout something else. All right? Let's keep moving forward. Uh, by the way, this is totally different. We call it the triumphal entry because the Romans had what was called a triumph. And that was actually a uh, huge parade. You didn't get a huge parade unless you killed 5,000 enemy people. If you kill 5,000 enemy people, you get a parade. You get to ride in a golden chariot. Everybody thinks you're awesome, right? Well, Jesus doesn't come in like that. He comes in super Jewish style. Humble. Saying, hey, I'm your king of a different sword. Look at the next passage. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd... What are they doing there? Well, they're supposed to check this kind of stuff out. Said to him, teacher, shut your disciples down. How dare they praise you like this? They're treating you like God. Well, he answered, I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. Come on, somebody. He said, he said, uh, he said, if you, if the people don't shout for me, my creation will shout for me. You want the rocks to scream out? Because that's going to freak you out. 
My creation knows who I am. So if we're not doing it, somebody's got to praise. So the Pharisees said to one another, looking like they're losing ground. You see, you're gaining nothing. The whole world's going after him. And you assume that this is such a happy day for Jesus. But look at the next passage. And when they drew near and saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. Now, last time he cried at Lazarus's tomb, it was the quiet one. This one's the loud one. And he said, if only you would that you even you had known on this critical day the things that God was doing to make peace. For now they're hidden from your eyes. I wish you saw it for the days are going to come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you and hem you in on every side. They will tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. That's called a brutal prophecy. Forty years after these words were spoken, the Roman leader Titus marched upon Jerusalem and did exactly what Jesus said. He set up an embankment all around the city. On April 9th, he set up a plan of starvation. They had just had a big celebration feast and all these pilgrims had come to town and he locked them all in. He made embankments for a siege and for 143 days through summer, he starved them out and slaughtered 600,000 Jews. The only ones that escaped or that death were the few thousand that he took to go kill publicly in the gladiator games. They all died. And he demolished the beautiful temple. Not one stone was left on another. He wiped the entire thing out, and it's never been rebuilt since. That happened in A.D. 70. All right? Why did it all happen? Jesus was proclaiming judgment. I'm here. You do not receive me. So I'm going to go into the temple and I'm going to see if there's honor to my name. And if there's not, what do you do with salt that loses its flavor? But you throw it out for it to be trampled upon. And that's exactly what happened. And when he entered Jerusalem full of emotion with emotionally charged crowds, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this guy? And all the people in the north and the supporters of the south, the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And he went into the temple. Remember, that's what Judas Maccabeus did. But check how Jesus handled this. He went into the temple, and when he looked around at everything, it was already late, so he went home. You're like, what? That's the end? No, that's not the end. Jesus is coming back. Why did he go in there? Matthew, uh, Malachi 3.1 has a prophecy that the Messiah will come suddenly upon his temple. Do you understand layer upon layer upon layer, everything that's going on is prophetic. Everything that's going on is mysterious. It's all building on itself. And you're watching Jesus come in and proclaim that he is truly the anointed one, the one that they have waited for. And he comes walking in and they're celebrating and they're shouting, but only the supporters, the leadership will not receive him. And they're going to miss it. What more is he going to do to try to get our attention? I mean, he's doing a lot of stuff, but do not ever underestimate the hardness of a heart. If you don't see him now, what's he got to do to get your attention? What does he have to do to get you to surrender and say, yes, God? I don't know. I don't know. That's between you and him. But I do know this. He is our king. 
and he needs to be recognized as such, and he needs to be praised as such, and he needs to be glorified as such, and he needs to be celebrated as such, because when our king is in our presence, and we are in his, as he dwells in his people, we should be fired up just to be here. Do you understand? Yeah, amen, amen, yeah? Because this is a good place to be. We get a chance and a freedom to gather together and say, Jesus is in you, Jesus is in me, so let's tell him how great he is. This is a place that we can celebrate. This is a place that we're on the same page, that we can say, my Jesus rescued me, my Jesus continues to heal me, my Jesus loves on me, my Jesus cares for me. And so this place, we will always unapologetically lift the name of Jesus on high. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. You are wonderful and glorious. Thank you for sending your son. And Jesus, as you walked in, we want to be the ones to throw our coats on the ground for you. We want to be the ones to cut the palm branches and throw them on the ground in front of you. God, we want to be the ones that shout Hosanna. We are the ones that want to shout, you are great and mighty and wonderful and awesome. We don't want to miss you. If you pass by, if you stir in our hearts, we want to say, yes, Lord, you are the one that we serve. We are all about you. Make us decrease that you might have more room to increase in us. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you tonight at fifth movement.